Amen. We, we talk about the gospel, the, the good news, the salvation in Jesus Christ, but uh, I feel that so often, at least in my own life, I, I, don't, I don't view it as good enough news. Right? I, I don't view it as the marvelous, incredible good news that the gospel is. That you and I were rebellious against God. That you and I fell incredibly short of God's standard of perfection. And yet God, who we rebelled against, who we sinned against, who we rejected, God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you and me. And Jesus willingly went to the cross. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. His blood was shed and he rose again from the grave. Three days later, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he brought eternal life to those who placed their faith in him. Like that is the good news of eternal life. That is the marvelous news that we sing about. And so I just wanted to remind us this morning uh, that that is the good news. That is what, it, what we're here for. That is what this is all about, is the good news. And we have been saved and set free uh, by, from sin and death by Jesus Christ. Some of you this morning need to be set free from sin and death for the very first time. So as we talk this morning, as we open up and study the word of God, keep that at the forefront of your mind, that the word of God is calling out to you to place your faith in Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're continuing our series. Um, we're calling Catching the Vision. Uh, this is what where we're going as a church. Who is it that God is calling us to be? So the first week, we talked about our mission statement, that we are a family of faith living for eternity today. That, that, is, that is what defines us uh, that we are people who are seeking after the Lord. We're not living for anything that we can grasp or find in this world, but we are living for, the, for an eternal life with, with eternity in our minds, living for the glory of God. Last week we talked about uh, one of our values, foster authentic community, that in order to, to be a family of faith living for eternity today, we need to, to create an atmosphere in which we are genuinely and authentically uh, with one another, that we are in community with fellow believers, that we're not doing it solo, but we're doing it collectively as a body of believers. This, believers. this morning, we're going to talk about another value. Apply the scriptures. Apply the scriptures. We value faithful preaching and studying the Bible in community. So that again, we value faithful preaching. Preaching that is faithful to the word of God, that that is faithful to the context and the text of what God uh, has for us from his word. We value faithful preaching, and we value studying the Bible in community, not just alone. It's great if you study the Bible on your own, but we value talking about the word of God together so that collectively we are shaped and molded by it and edified by our conversations with one another. Well, as we get into 2 Timothy chapter 3, and as I alluded to earlier in our, in our prayer time, uh, Paul sets up his, the text that we're going to read this morning uh, with kind of giving a, an analysis of his day, kind of an analysis of his age. And he, he tells Timothy, who is this, his protege, Timothy is the guy that has followed Paul around, is the guy that, that Paul has trained and taught, the guy that Paul has led. And so Paul is about to die. He's on death row. He knows his execution date is imminent. So he's writing a letter to Timothy, kind of giving him some instructions, giving him some final words. And as a guy who's about to die, and he's looking back over his life, and he's looking out on the, on, on the day 
uh, an age that he lived in. And he told Timothy in the passage directly preceding what we're going to read this morning, he said, there are going to be some guys. As the day of Christ's return nears, as we go another day, another week, another year without Christ returning, as that goes along, there are going to be people that are wicked. There are going to be people that are evil in our world. And we're going to have a world full of people that are greedy, that are selfish, that are willing to oppress and put other people down if it means getting ahead. We're going to live in a world full of people who are, who are uh, self-righteous and think that they have it all and think that their way is the best way. We live in a world full of people who are evil, who reject God's righteousness, who reject his plan for their life. We live in a world full of people who will hurt and harm others. We live in a world that is marred by sin and people who have bought into this sinfulness and have run with it, who are, who are going back and forth in culture, following whatever it is that they think is going to give them satisfaction. We live in a world full of people who will harm other people and hurt other people and oppress other people, and that's the world that we're going to live in as we draw near and closer to the day when Christ returns. A world of wicked, greedy, sinful people. And then Paul tells this to Timothy in chapter 3, starting in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me pray for us. We'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us your word. You, you didn't just leave us stranded, wondering what you're like, wondering how we're supposed to live. You didn't just leave us stranded, knowing nothing about you, God. You have revealed yourself in your word. So I thank you for giving us your word. We pray this morning that you would, through your word, you would shape us and mold us in the image of Jesus, that our, our minds would be captivated by what you're teaching, that our hearts would be ready to apply it to our lives so that we, as a group, will look more like you, that we would be better at the end of our time together than we were when we arrived. So Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning to change us, shape us and conform us in your image. We love you and praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And we do live in a world full of sinful, broken, greedy, oppressive people, people that, that will cheat and, and try to get ahead. And, and it seems like they actually succeed, right? That the people that cheat and get ahead seem to get ahead. Like we, we, we want to believe in karma, 
right? We want to believe in the idea that whatever you put out in the world is going to come back to bite you, right? If you're, if you're a bad person and you do something bad to somebody, then that's going to come back to bite you. That's going to come back to haunt you. Um, but a lot of the times, that's not the case. Right? A lot of times, we see people who are wicked, who, who, who do bad things to try to get ahead in life, and they actually get ahead in life. And so we, we cry out like the prophet Habakkuk back in uh, ancient Israel. We cry out like, God, do you not even see what's going on? Like, do you not notice? Like, look at, these, look at these guys. Like, the wicked people are prospering. The righteous people are being oppressed. Do you not notice what's going on? I'm going to give you a, a very light kind of uh, example people cheating and getting ahead. When I was uh, in college, uh, I took a marketing class. And um, I, I, side note, I was very nervous about my grade in this marketing class because our first day of class, my professor uh, told every single one of us this should be an easy A. All we had to do was take 25 quizzes over the course of the semester and do a project at the end. So our professor said this should be an easy A. Every single one of you should get an A as long as you don't forget to do the quizzes. That's all, I mean, that was it. And I'm sitting in class thinking nobody's dumb enough to forget to do a quiz. Like, uh, of course, uh, of course I'm going to do the quizzes. Well, second week of class rolls around, and I forgot to do the quizzes for that week of class. And so I was stressed all semester that I was going to be the only one in that class to not get the easy A out of it. But it was a very easy class. I uh, was still able to pull out uh, barely an A in the class, even while forgetting quizzes. So that, that helps you understand this story uh, and the absurdity of it. A group of 12 students started a group message in this class. And when you take the quizzes, they give you the answers. So once you take the quiz, it tells you what you got right, what you got wrong, so you can kind of absorb the information and learn from it and correct it and be better next time. Well, the group of 12 students got together, and one of them would fall on the sword each week and take the quiz, get all the answers, and then send the answers out to the other 11 in the group so that everyone in the group, it's a, it's a genius system, uh, a, a genius way to cheat it, because you're guaranteed 22 hundreds on the quizzes, you just have to fall on your sword and bite the bullet for the rest of the group twice throughout the semester. That's all you have to do. Uh, so it's a genius way to, to cheat the system. And uh, so they cheated, they succeeded and thrived in the class. And you know what? They got away with it. Like I only knew about it because the next year a group of students did it and got caught. And so, and so they, they, uh, they did not get away with it. Uh, and then our grade were like, yeah, well, we did it. And so we got away with it. Um, but they got away with it. They cheated, they got ahead, and everything was fine. And, and that happens you know, across universities around the country where people, uh, people get grades in classes that they didn't earn, degrees that they don't know anything about because they never studied and, and looked at all the answers online. And that's kind of zooming out. That's what we see on a broad scale is people that cheat to get ahead, people that, that do evil, wicked things, people who are, who are self-centered and greedy and focused on themselves and nobody else, people who only want their satisfaction, their joy in life, people who are only in things for themselves. They seem to get ahead. They seem to be fine and have, uh, have no problems in this life. People who are only out to fulfill the lust of their flesh and the desires of their eyes seem to be doing okay. And yet, here are Christians. Here are people who are trying to live after God, people trying to follow the Lord, struggling. And if you're Timothy, who's seeing this, you're seeing the wicked people get ahead, you're seeing the wicked people thrive, it's really easy to just decide to give up. 
Like, I, I'm not going to follow Scripture anymore. I'm not going to follow the Lord. I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing because they seem to have an easy life. I'm just going to give in. I'm going to take the money from my employer. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going to indulge in sexual immorality. Like, I'm just going to give up and give in because it seems to work out for everybody else. Well, Paul, as, as, this, as an older man who is uh, near death, is relating to Timothy, and he's reminding him that regardless of what everybody else does, we need to apply the scriptures. Well, it's true for Timothy, it's true for us. Regardless of what everybody else in the world does, we need to apply the scriptures. And Paul makes this case by pointing out two things from the, uh, two ideas this morning about following scripture, two, two key truths about following and applying the word of God. The first thing we see in this text is that following scripture is difficult. Following scripture, applying the word of God to your life is not easy. Look with me in verse 10. Paul says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Now, what, what Paul is doing here is he is distancing himself from the type of people that he just described at the beginning of chapter 3. The people who are greedy, people who are, who are uh, selfish, the people who are trying to get ahead in life by unrighteousness and unholiness and wickedness, the people who give in to temptation and reject the righteousness of God. He is, Paul is distancing himself from them. What we see uh, in the original Greek, the word my there, is in this kind of inf slightly emphatic position. So what Paul is saying is, you have followed my teaching. Like, Timothy, you have come along with me. You have seen my conduct. You've seen my aim, my faith, as opposed to the people that are around you. You've seen the way that I've lived my life as opposed to the, the wicked, unrighteous, sinful people uh, that you encounter on a daily basis. Paul is coming alongside Timothy and comforting him and reminding him that, that yeah, you, you see people that are unrighteous get ahead. You see people who are, who are wicked seem to thrive in this world, and you may be tempted to give up and to give in to sinfulness. You may be tempted to give up and to give in to unrighteousness, to stop following God, because it seems to work out for everybody else. And what Paul is saying is, hey, Timothy, you have seen my life, as opposed to those guys. You, you have heard what I have taught, the, the way that I have taught people to follow Jesus, the way that I've taught people to apply the scriptures, to live righteous, God-honoring lives. You have, you have seen and heard my teachings. He says, you have, you have seen my conduct. You've seen that I don't just talk about following God. I, I do it. My life is lived for the Lord. That my life embodies Christ's likeness, that I am someone who follows Jesus and, and glorifies God with my life. You have seen my conduct. He says, you have seen my aim in life. You have seen that, that my goal in life is to lift up the name of Jesus. That my whole goal in life is to glorify God. You have seen me stay true to that aim. Unlike everybody else in the world whose goal is their own satisfaction, whose goal is their own glory, my aim has always been to glorify God and to lift up the name of Jesus. You've seen that. Timothy had been along for the ride for a lot of Paul's ministry. 
when we get back to the book of Acts next year, we'll see. Timothy came along with Paul on a lot of his missionary journeys. So Timothy has had a, a front row seat to Paul's life and his ministry. Paul's looking back and he says, I, I did not give up my aim in life to glorify God and to follow Jesus. I never wavered in my teaching to glorify God and to apply the scriptures. My conduct never shifted. I stayed the course and followed the Lord. He goes on and says, you have seen my faith. You've seen the faith that I have in the Lord and how that, that has not shifted throughout my life, that I never gave it up because of the wicked people who are around me. I never traded my faith in Jesus for momentary pleasure, deciding that, that the things of today are more important than the things that will matter forever. I, I've never given up my faith. He says, you have seen my patience. And my patience in a lot of things. Paul had been through a lot of difficult situations. So this could be patience in terms of waiting for God's wrath to come. Like patience waiting for God's uh, divine retribution. Where, where Paul had been wronged, where Paul had been hurt by people, where Paul had been, been sinned against. And instead of taking matters into his own, own hands, he is patient, knowing that the Lord is going to take care of it. We've seen Paul, uh, Paul's desires, Paul's missionary journeys, Paul, Paul's intention on where he wanted to go constantly get thwarted. And now through it all, he trusted and the Lord and remained patient on Christ. Paul's telling Timothy, you, you have seen how I have stayed patient in the Lord. How I have trusted in him and followed him with my life. He said, you have seen my love. Contrast that to the people who surround you, the people who only love themselves. The people whose love is for their own life, their love is for their own pleasure, their love is for their own greediness, the love is for their own, uh, their, their own advancement. The, their love is to check off their own life and do everything for themselves. You've seen my love, my love for the Lord, my love for God, for Jesus Christ, my love for the lost, my desire for, to see the lost come to know Jesus my love for the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and how that's never wavered. You've seen my love and you have seen my steadfastness. You have seen that through it all, through everything Paul had experienced, through everything that, Paul, that happened in Paul's life, he stayed steadfast. He stayed following the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 11. If we stopped... At verse 10, what we would expect and what we want to see is that Paul was rewarded for his righteousness. That Paul, having stayed the course, that Paul, having continued to love people well, that Paul continued to, to have faith in Jesus, that he was rewarded in life. That he, he had an easy, peaceful life. That he had everything going for him. But we see in verse 11, you saw my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra which persecutions I endured. Paul says, you, you have seen, Timothy, that I 
followed the Lord through everything. And it wasn't just because my life was easy that I kept following the Lord. I followed the Lord through everything, my persecutions and my sufferings, everything that happened to me in my life. I stayed the course and I kept following Jesus. It's, it, it's almost like the devil in, in the book of Job coming up, to, coming up to God and saying, well, yeah, of course Job is following you. His life is easy. Everything is going really well. Paul is saying, that's not at all while I'm following the Lord. I didn't stay the course and keep my faith in Jesus because things are going well for me, because I have a, a healthy bank account, because I have a healthy family, because I'm happy and content in life. I'm not, I didn't stay the course because any of those things happened. I stayed the course despite the fact that I've endured persecutions and sufferings throughout my life. Paul was a guy who had been whipped several times, that he had been beaten with rods, several times. He'd been put in prison for years of his life because of Jesus. Paul was a guy who had heavy rocks thrown at him until a group of people thought he was dead and then just left. And he was not dead. He got up and continued to preach the gospel. That's what Paul has endured for the sake of the gospel. And Paul says, through it all, through my persecutions, through my sufferings, I still followed the Lord. I stayed true to the Lord, I stayed true to Christ, and I continued to apply the scriptures. I didn't give in to the temptation to have an easy life and to seemingly get ahead by doing what everybody else does. He says, through them all, the Lord rescued me. Through all of these persecutions, through all of these, these sufferings, the Lord brought me through. He's giving God glory. Even, even in his sufferings, even in his persecutions, he's giving God glory and praise and honor. And it's not just because he, he was rescued from every persecution. Paul knows he's about to die. He's about to have his head lopped off because he's a follower of Jesus. So he knows he's not going to be rescued from every persecution. That's not why he's glorifying and he's praising God. He's praising him because even through it all, the Lord has proven himself to be faithful. Paul's saying, you know my life compared to the people around you. You know my faithfulness, my attempt to follow the Lord compared to the people around you who seem to be getting ahead by doing wickedness and unrighteousness. And Paul goes on in verse 12 with the great news. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what Paul says is, yep, if you follow Jesus, if your aim is to glorify God, your eyes are fixed on him, and you are attempting to apply the scriptures to your life and to live in the way that God wants you to live, then you're going to suffer persecution. And the people around you who are in it for themselves, who are, who are, who are not focused on the Lord, following after their own desires and their own hearts, those people are going to continue from bad to worse. They're going to continue doing things that are unrighteous and unholy. They're going to continue in their wickedness. And at the end of it all, they're going to continue doing pretty well. They will continue deceiving and being deceived, and it will not get any better. The temptation to, to give up following the Lord, to just give in to temptation and to quit following Jesus is going to continue to grow because you're going to see that followers of Jesus will be persecuted and that everybody else is going to be doing okay. 
now, if you're like me, when you read that followers of God, those who, those who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted, with a very emphatic, like, will be persecuted, uh, if you're like me, you feel probably a little uneasy about that sentence because you don't feel persecuted. <laughs> if you're like me, I, I, I know that I'm not enduring what some fellow brothers and sisters are enduring in other countries. So we're not, we're not being imprisoned for our faith. We're not going through what Paul was going through. And so I read that verse, and I, it makes me a little uneasy, a little nervous, because I don't feel like I'm being persecuted in the same way that they are. But what Paul is talking about here is not necessarily that every believer is going to be imprisoned and martyred, that not every prison is going to be tortured for their faith. What he's pointing out here is that if we as a people have our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we will always be fish swimming upstream. And we will always be people who are battling against the current of culture. Because we are people who have our eyes fixed on Jesus, and everybody else has their eyes fixed on themselves. And their own glory, and their own, and their, their own uh, satisfaction. And so we will always be slightly off from the rest of culture because we're looking at different things. We are pursuing different aims. And so in the United States, praise God, by his grace, we have, we have been, uh, due to our nation's founding, a, a country with a culture that has resonated with Christian values. A country with a culture that has at least implicitly, uh, on the outside, agreed that there is a God and that, that he's the Christian God and that his values are the way that we should live our lives. And so the stream of culture in the United States over history has not been wildly uh, against the stream of Christianity. We haven't had to battle head-on a, a major onslaught against our faith. Whereas someone in Iran who is following the Lord is battling a full-on onslaught, a culture that is directly and militantly against Christianity. But still, in the United States, we are battling a little bit of a culture. We're rubbing up against and battling a culture that is not entirely fixated on Jesus. And as the culture in the United States shifts away from Christ-likeness, and shifts away from, uh, from the morals and the values espoused by the word of God, then we're going to continue and more abruptly battle against culture. The point is, every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you apply the scripture, you will battle against the culture. You will battle against the surrounding world because your aim is Christ and nobody else's is. So following Jesus, following the scriptures, applying the word of God to your life is difficult because if you're committed to living the way that God has called you to live, then you are committing to live in a way that is countercultural. You're committing to live in a way that is not accepted entirely by the people we're around. And as we stay fixed on Jesus and the culture shifts and turns around us, it will get increasingly more difficult to follow after Jesus. It will be increasingly harder to battle against those aspects of our culture that do not glorify God and do not honor him. Everybody else around us can just go with the flow of culture however they please. If the culture just decides that, that homosexual marriage is good, then the rest of the culture can just kind of go along with it as they please. But we, having committed to the word of God, know what the word of God says and stand firm on that. So as culture shifts, we battle and push up against it. Every single person who is committed to living for the word of God 
applying the scriptures, is going to struggle, is going to, to battle that culture. Following scripture is difficult. And if that was the end of the text, then that would be very depressing, and we would all have reason to just go home. <laughs> we, we would all have reason to just give in and do what everybody else is doing. But that's not the end of the text. The second thing that we see is that following scripture is worthwhile. Following scripture is worthwhile. Look with me in verse 14. As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and that from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So Paul is writing to Timothy with an, as, an, uh, as an older man looking back on his life, and he's saying, look, I followed the Lord. I stayed true with it, and, and it's going to be tough. If you decide that you're going to follow Jesus, if you decide that you're going to apply the scriptures, then you're going to struggle, you're going to be persecuted, you may suffer as I have suffered, and then the next thing out of Paul's mouth is, but hey, keep doing what you're doing. Like, keep following Christ. Keep applying the scriptures. If you're Timothy, you're probably ready to smack Paul across the face. Like, I know I would be because Paul's going on this long diatribe about, hey, if you follow Jesus, if you follow scripture, your life's going to be awful. But hey, follow scripture. Keep doing it. And he doesn't give any more information before that. He just kind of says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep following scripture, knowing that, that you have been taught the scriptures from an early age. And that seems really hollow and really empty. And that's not a, a, good, a good piece of advice unless there's something beneficial and worthwhile attached to it. And that's why Paul continues in verse 13. From the childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What we have in Scripture is God's revelation of himself. And ultimately, as we talked about several months ago, all of Scripture is pointing out God's redemptive plan for mankind. It is pointing us to Jesus Christ and how we can have salvation in him. You can watch all of the, the reruns you want on the Oprah show, but nothing in what she says is going to give you salvation. You can read all of the self-help books you want and, and all of the New York Times bestsellers, but, but none of those books are going to give you the information on how to be set free from sin and death. You can watch all of the TED Talks in the world and absorb all of the information and try to live your best life the way that you best, most possibly can, but none of those things are going to contain the information on how to find joy and satisfaction in eternal life. The Word of God teaches us and shows us and instructs us how to find salvation in Jesus Christ. It points us to the one thing that we can find salvation in in the entire world because there's nothing else on earth. There's nothing here in the entire world that is going to save us. There's nothing in the entire planet that's going to give us joy and satisfaction and eternal life. There's nothing in the world that will restore our relationship with God other than Jesus. And the word of God points us forward to him. Every Old Testament passage points forward to Jesus in one way or another. And every text in Scripture either points forward to him or back to him because it all shows us that Jesus Christ is the one who brings salvation. All of Scripture promotes the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. That alone is reason to apply the Scriptures. 
That alone is reason to study and to learn what the word of God says because it's pointing us forward to the only source of salvation and eternal life in the entire world. It's pointing us forward to salvation in Jesus. If we read a passage of scripture and we, ha- we do not understand how it connects to Jesus, then we haven't fully understood the passage. Because every text reveals to us and is capable of informing us on the salvation that comes from Jesus. So we have to understand that the word of God opens up to us and reveals to us the salvation that comes in Jesus. This is not inherently an instruction manual. This is not inherently a book to read to get a list of things to do for your life. This is not inherently a rule book that God uh, wants us to follow. This is a revelation that God gives us of himself and his plan for redemption that culminates in Jesus Christ. So we read the word of God as it reveals to us and is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Studying scripture and applying it is worthwhile because the word of God teaches us about salvation in Jesus Christ. But he goes on, all scripture is breathed out by God. That term breathed out by God is a Greek term that means literally God breathed, God spoke it, God God inspired scripture. And we don't mean that he literally dictated every verse, you know, that every word is exactly the word that he dictated and spoke out. There are moments where God tells a a prophet, hey, write this down. Um, But more often than not, he used the writers. He used their own styles, their own abilities, uh, their own culture. He used them to bring about his inspired and errant word to give to us. Every word that's in there is exactly the word God God intended to be there because it is all spoken and breathed out and inspired by God. He says it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word of God is profitable. It is useful for these four things. Now, it doesn't say these books, these, uh, these passages are useful, and these are not. Right? It doesn't say New, text, New Testament texts are good, Old Testament texts are not useful anymore. It says all of scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, is useful for teaching. It means as we, as we learn and understand who God is and the salvation that comes from Jesus, we also learn more about eternal life. We learn more about who God is and what he's like. It teaches us the correct way to think about uh, eternal life and the spiritual realm. It is profitable for reproof, meaning, meaning coming alongside and kind of nudging us in the right direction, coming alongside and slapping our hands saying, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing that. Like as we, as we read about the salvation that comes in Jesus, we read about the things that we're saved from, the sinful brokenness of the world, and it kind of slaps our hands and reminds us, hey, you should not be doing these things. It corrects us, meaning it corrects both our actions and also the, the incorrect thoughts that we have, the, the things that are not accurate, the things that are not right, and corrects those things as we study Scripture and we see the salvation that comes in Jesus. It corrects the wrong ideas that we have about our life. And ultimately, it trains us in righteousness. As we, as we study Scripture, it, it teaches us the way to go. It teaches us the, the, the way we need to approach the world. It teaches us the things that we need to be doing. All of Scripture is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and he says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God 
has given us his word to equip us for every good work, to, to grow us and to make us complete, lacking in nothing. What that means is that there's, not, there's nothing that's going on in your life. There's no single area in your life that cannot be, uh, that is not covered in the word of God. There's nothing in your life that is not talked about in scripture. Now, I don't mean that you can go to scripture to find out exactly where you need to go to college, right? Like, it's, gonna, it's not going to say in here, go to Texas A&M, right? There's not, there's not, there's not a passage as, as much as I believe that. There's not a passage in scripture that's going to say something like that. Hey, this is the, these are the stocks you need to invest in, right? There's, not, like, there's, no, there's no passage in scripture that directly says these things because scripture is not an instruction manual. But as we read scripture, it shapes our mind and it shapes the way that we think and live and act. And so we know how God wants us to approach each of these different situations. So that we are complete and lacking in nothing. People who are glorifying and honoring to God in everything that we do. We study scripture because it's worthwhile. We preach from the word of God because it's worthwhile, because it points us to salvation that comes in Jesus, and it, cha- it, tra- it changes us, it transforms us, it shapes us and molds us into the image of Jesus, and makes, it, makes us complete, equipped for every good work. Studying scripture is difficult, and applying it to your life is going to be difficult, and there will be many temptations to just abandon it altogether. But studying scripture is worthwhile, and applying it to your life is better than than anything else in the world. Because salvation comes from the word of God. Salvation comes from Jesus. And the word of God points us forward to Jesus. It it shapes and molds us and trains us to be the people God has called us to be. As a church, we're going to study scripture. And we're going to let the word of God be primary in everything that we do. When we gather, we're going to open up the word of God and we're going to talk about what it means for our lives. And not just in pulling verses here and there and hoping that we get the right idea, but we're going to study scripture. We're going to see exactly what God is communicating to us. Because we want to be the people that God has called us to be. We want to be the perfect, equipped, complete people, the mature believers that God is equipping us and calling us to be. So we're going to study the word of God together. We're going to faithfully preach God's word. We're going to study it in community so that we can apply it together and be the people God is calling us to be. This morning, every single one of us has a a step to take when it comes to applying the word of God. Some of us need to get in it and read it because we don't know what it says. And if you don't know what it says, how can you apply it? And so you need to get in the word of God and read it so you know what God is teaching. And when you have questions, when you have things that you don't understand, when you have ideas about what it says, bring it up in community. Bring it up with one another so you're not straying off in one direction or another where you can actually understand together what the Word of God is saying to us. Some of us just need to read the Bible. Some of you know what the Bible says, but you're not applying it. And you're, you are giving in to temptation. You're giving in to, uh, to the, the desires of your flesh and the desires of your eyes. You're giving in to those things. And what we need to do this morning is to apply the scriptures. Live them out because it's worthwhile. It's difficult, but it's worthwhile. Some of you this morning, as I mentioned at the beginning, some of you this morning, for the very first time, need to place your faith in Jesus. 
because you do not understand. You do not have your eyes fixed on the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. You have not submitted to Christ as Lord. You have not submitted to him as the God of your life, as the king and ruler over everything that you do. You have not submitted to him and experienced the eternal life that comes from Jesus. And so this morning, the word of God is calling you and beckoning you to place your faith in Jesus and to follow him. There's no other moral uh, idea that I can throw at you. There's nothing else the Bible is telling you to do this morning than to follow Jesus and to place your faith in him. Just a moment, we're going to sing. As we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. If this morning you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, you want to talk about what it means to follow him and submit to him as Lord, I'm going to be right here. I would love for you to come talk to me. I'll pray with you, and then after the service, we'll go and talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Do not leave here this morning without placing your faith in him and experiencing just how worthwhile it is. Experiencing the eternal life that Paul was willing to endure suffering and persecution for because he knows how much God loves him. He knows that he's been set free from sin and death. So this morning, if that's you, I invite you to just come talk to me. We'll pray and we'll talk after the service about what it means to follow Jesus. As we sing, let's all stand and let's worship God and praise him. Let me pray. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it does transform us. It does shape us. It does mold us. I thank you that it convicts us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray this morning, if any of us are not in line with your word, or if any of us don't know your word because we're not reading it, I pray, Father, that we would have a hunger and a desire to know your word and a longing to apply it to our lives. I pray this morning for all in this room who do not know you. All in this room who have never been set free from sin and death all in this room who have never submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord, I pray that this morning they would answer the call of Scripture. They would answer the call that Scripture is calling them to, that is begging them towards to place their faith in Jesus. Father, move in our midst this morning and continue to shape us and mold us by your word every day of our life until we come face to face with you for all of eternity. We love you. Praise you in the name of Jesus.